0: peace and blessings be upon you welcome to the Ta'leef podcast a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community love service and prophetic wisdom assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh welcome good evening mashallah it's a great honor a great privilege to be with all of you uh, on this cold blustery Uh, Chicago, late fall, late autumn evening. Uh, Alhamdulillah, it's cold outside, but it's warm at Tetlef, Seeing familiar faces and being in conversation. And I really mean that. um, You know, this is our third time, actually, reviewing this book. So you can expect some repetition. (laughs) But inshallah, it's incremental repetition. And... um, One of the things that people who want to master anything are never frustrated by is repetition. You can't become extremely proficient at anything without repetition. And undoubtedly, I'm assuming you will hear hadith tonight that you've heard before and you will hear verses of the Quran that you've heard before, and you will hear stories that you've heard before. Um, The goal in incremental repetition is to try to look for new shades of meaning, trying to look for deeper meaning, because when you hear um, some scriptural guidance, It's not that the scriptural guidance is changing, but you're changing. Mm. So you might understand that now in a way that you couldn't two years ago. That, you know, you might hear something from Ustad Tahira that might resonate with you now in a way that it didn't resonate with you three or four years ago. So even though we've done this book, we've explored these meanings, I'm still urging you, and mashallah, we try to keep things new and renewed by bringing uh, a different teacher every week, a different conversational partner every week, uh, so that the synergy is new. But undoubtedly, you will probably hear some things you've heard before, but I'm still urging your attentiveness. I'm still urging you to uh, try to be with us, try to be present, try to focus, and I pray that Allah benefits uh, all of us. This evening. Ustay ta'hira ahmed. Kaif al hal. Wa alaikum. Salaam rahmatullah. How are you?
1: Alhamdulillah.
0: Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So, um, the name of the book. Okay. The name of the book is Purification of the Heart. Um, it was originally uh, written as a poem. Right, is a didactic poem, right, a poem that contains lessons. And we look at a section of the poem every week and we just have a conversation, right? No, there's no, you know, structure, nothing formal. We just have a conversation about the meanings. So this week we're discussing butter or wantonness. What are some of your initial impressions when you hear wantonness or the Arabic term butter? What are some of your initial thoughts?
1: What comes to mind? Well, first of all, I, I know I have an injury, but I did not want to um, give up the chance of being in conversation with Ustaad Ubaidullah,
0: Alhamdulillah
1: this particular topic is interesting, right, because I'll be honest, like, it was a little bit challenging for me to wrap my head around what I, where I have seen Batar in Quran and in Mm -hmm. a hadith, where it shows up. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I I did, you know, as a, (laughs) as somebody who I guess is part of the madrasa system, right, in terms of traditional Islam, like, go back into what, where does this actually show up, right? And I guess as as an aspiring scholar, that's one of the first things I did because the way it's written in the text as exuberance, I don't know if that is the right, like you're really good with like the whole lexical, like, you know, I, I love how whenever you speak, you always go into the etymology of things. And I wonder if that is... The correct representation. And now I'm not saying that, you know, um, Sheikh Hamza or anyone, Hafidahullah, is misusing a term. I'm just, I think the first response was actually I started to question, like, how are we translating this?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Does it actually reflect what we know within how it's represented, the word Batar in the Quran? Um, because it does show up in, as you know, Surat, surat Al-Qasas, أهلكنا مِنْ قَرِيَةٍ معيشتها, Right? No. So, that's where you see it in the Quran, and then in a Hadith, it's, it's very interesting. It's in the Hadith where I've, you've quoted many, many times uh, with Ibn Mas'ud, anh, and I know Imam Nawaz, like differs on the, the riwayah of this. But it shows up with what is actually kibr. Yes. Right? So uh, please correct me if I don't remember it, right? It's al-kibru, batar al-haqqi, wa-ghamt al So the batr there is actually, again, this is my understanding of the different, uh, what the ulama say about this. So from what I remember, is like a den- defiance or denial it's mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. is it's actually like lowering people mm-hmm. so I don't want to get into like the whole like oh like this is what where it shows up and that's why I'm confused about why is it exuberant it, it it's important to me personally because as a Muslim woman living in postmodernity where there's constant like challenge of being presentable in a way that the average person looks at you and is like okay this person is you know somewhat normative but is 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 part practicing a particular tradition it is it is difficult right as a muslim woman to try to figure out okay if i wear hijab do i want to look presentable versus exuberant or whatever that really means sure and ex- if exuberance actually means like being overly happy and being presentable in that way, then I don't know if I agree with the, with the way it's written in the text in terms mm. of the translation, because I look at Abdullah every time and he's pretty exuberant. Okay. MashaAllah, <laughs> you know, like the way Abdullah like dresses and he presents itself. And what's amazing to me is that the hadith that actually clarifies what kibir is like right before that mm-hmm. Rasulullah says to him, because the, a man asks like, what if a person wants to look good basically? And mm-hmm. that's where we hear the famous, you know, hadith that everyone constantly priests that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is um, beauty and he loves beauty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's clear that that's not what kibbut is. It's mm-hmm. not to pre- look presentable or to look good. So where I am right now, honestly, as even as I was driving here, I was thinking like, hmm what is a proper, relevant definition mm. of this term? Mm-hmm. And where does it fit in into our lives right now?
0: I think I have, a, you know, sometimes when we're looking for definitions of words, we look past uh, slang or colloquialisms when actually, they actually illuminate or bring to life the meaning more effectively. Batr simply means doing too much. Mm. When somebody says he's doing too much, that's Batr. You're doing too much. This is why he translates it as exuberance. Mm. The connection to the hadith of the Prophet, a.s. A.s., when the Prophet said, Al kibru batrul haqq, it's, it's rejecting the truth out of doing too much Mm. and anybody who argues passionately knows what I mean. So imagine two people are arguing, right? When you are so personally involved in your argument that the truth is presented to you, but because of your personal investment in your ego or your image or your reputation, you can't halt at the truth. You keep going. Anybody who's married knows what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, right? You're personally involved in the argument so that even though the truth has been made manifest on the tongue of the other person, you can't stop and say, you know what? That's true. You have to say what? No, 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 no. And that's, it's a kind of arrogance because whatever you're doing, you think that it's more worthy than the truth. You see what I'm saying? You think whatever you're invested in, you're invested in it more than you're invested in the truth. Mm. And that thing we're invested in is usually the ego. It's usually the self, Mm. right? Um, Imam Shafi'i, He famously said, I have never argued with anyone, except that my prayer was that the truth be made manifest on their tongue, and I would have the honor of submitting to it. Mm. See, this is the person that's not arrogant, because if I hear truth and you say it, I can acknowledge it and say, you know what, that's that's, that's right, because my investment is not in my ego, Mm. my investment is in the truth. Right. But when we are deeply invested in our egos, we can never stop at the truth. You know, I've seen things where people say things that are just patently false. Right. Just to protect their position, their argument. uh, You know, I mean, this is this is a part of our condition. So wantonness, wantonness, um, you know, one of the common ways that wanton is used in English is in connection with with murder, with killing. Mm. If someone says they engaged in wanton killing, that means indiscriminate killing, Mm. that they weren't looking for a certain person or they weren't looking for a certain category of people, they were just killing everybody. That was wanton killing, meaning it was like murder that knew no boundary, it knew no limit. Those committing that murder had no compunction They would, nothing would stop them. That's wanton killing, right? So butter is like doing too much.
1: So let me ask you then though, right? Mm -hmm. We live in an age of like social media where Mm -hmm. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, like everything is constantly a show of the people's lives. And yeah, it Mm -hmm. has positivity. But I, you know, I'm sure you guys were watching the Facebook trials with Zuckerberg and this Facebook scientists, they're actually called computer philosophers, I found out. Wow. Um, Yeah, there's a term for it Mm -hmm. that they set up. So the biggest issue is that they set up these algorithms to monitor and harvest data about you and different people. And then it can be positive influence if you're consistently utilizing it for positive things in your life. Like people follow like, you know, um, events and programs that they're interested in or they follow somebody that they really look up to. But it's apparently also addictive because it aggregates data that is also negative and can have negative influence in your life, right? So we know all of that. That's just the preface to what I wanna say is that there's this whole world in which now people are meticulously researching how it impacts our behavior. It's called like behavior modification through social media. And so on that note, this topic I think is so relevant because when you say it's too much, well, what are we comparing that to and how much is too much when it's like, it's almost like the concept of of like, okay, what is normative within a society? Mm-hmm. Well, now if like if you're a hijabista, and you have like all these like different women to compare yourself to in social media, and someone shows up into a space and and like people are like, Oh, that's too much. Well, how do you, how do you navigate this question like what is the standard anymore right. Mm-hmm. So, mashallah, you are always dressed to the T right mashallah I, I don't always. think I've ever seen our like not always look not. like presentable. Okay, <laughs> mashallah. So you know, is that too much for some people or is that not? And I know I'm kind of being like a little challenging or controversial here, but I think this is like, No, this, the is, reality. this, is, this is the
0: re- I mean, I think um, even though the standard is relative, it's important that each of us have a standard. Now my too much might be inadequate for someone else and someone else's too much might be inadequate for me But I think it's important to know that even our enjoyment, even the things that we take delight in, we are to take delight in them with moderation. Mm. To know that our own moderation, our own subjectively defined moderation, to know that, you know, there is a too much, there is a line that you can cross where, okay, this has become excessive. It's gone from, you know, um uh uh considerable Mm. to excessive right and um butter is when the heart is um uh too uh, when the heart is attached to too much right the heart is attached to too much he calls that like a sickness but the way he diagnoses it he says as for the disease of wantonness or butter its definition is excessive mirth now mirth i would have never used that word no one speaks like that anymore, <laughs> right mirth is like mindless enjoyment hmm. right mindless enjoyment enjoyment without principle is mirth. it's not good clean fun hmm. it's not You know, it's mindless enjoyment. And I'm not going to lie to you all. I often feel the need for mindless enjoyment. You know, like if I've been writing or if I've been lecturing or if I've been reading, sometimes I just want to turn on television. And if what I'm watching is too engaging, I turn the channel. No, no, I don't don't want to think. Mm. I just want to be entertained, man, or, you surf YouTube. I don't want to think. I just want, Imam Mowlood is saying, there is like, when a person inclines toward that excessively, this is butter. This is one of the symptoms of butter, right? You take too much comfort in just a self-indulgent, uh, no, um, enjoyment right and you don't know any limit you know people used to say sa'a li wa li a moment for yourself and a moment for your heart you know even the prophet alayhi although his path was one of moderation right there were certain things that he enjoyed right you know perfume he enjoyed you know it's mentioned that the prophet alayhi ordinarily, when he went to a vendor, he would say to the vendor, don't give me the best. I mean, don't give me the choicest of your selection, but don't give me the worst. Just give me what is mutawasit. Give me what is, you know, decent, what is in the middle, right? Standard. Mediocre. Mediocre actually means intermediary, but it has a negative connotation. Right? Not excellent. But when it came to perfume, the Prophet alayhi no, give me the best. Give me the best. I want the best that you have. Right? They say, <laughs> You know, whenever I used to get these, I used to always joke and say, they never say good job. <laughs> now Amir gives it to me, it says, good job. Right? Um, They say every soul has something to which it inclines. Some people are gourmands. They love food Mm. and they spare no expense when dining. Mm. They spare no expense when preparing food. Some people love their home and they spare no expense when decorating their home. Some people love travel. Some people love cars, some people love clothes. What I've heard from many of my teachers is that if you want to judge whether or not your attachment to something self-indulgent is unhealthy, Mm. look at the Maqasid of the Sharia, right? Look at the five fundamental categories of our sacred law, preservation of faith, preservation of life, preservation of lineage, preservation of property, preservation of intellect, and preservation of dignity. If you are willing to sacrifice any of those things for some worldly enjoyment, your attachment to it is unhealthy. If you're willing to sacrifice your faith, or you're willing to risk your life, or you're willing to damage your intellect, you're willing to squander your property you're willing to you know uh, jeopardize your relationship with your children or with your parents or with your spouse and you're willing to sacrifice your dignity for this thing maybe your attachment to it is unhealthy mm. you know what i'm saying mm. subhanallah right that for me is maybe the best uh, criterion whereby which we can judge what is excessive because we all have things that we like. But am I going to uh, uh, jeopardize my deed for it? No, I don't like it that much.
1: That's interesting. Well, from a mental health perspective, Mm because that's kind of my field, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: One of the, I, I was really struck by the resolution, right? that's how do you then resolve this if you have wantonness or this is one was fasting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And the other was afterlife thinking about the afterlife, which is also really interesting, because as many of you probably know, that pre Islamic Arabs ar- 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 did not believe in an afterlife, they did believe even in the concept, you could argue of one higher power and the all the other avatar, so to speak. But idea of an afterlife is what's unique, right? And that's introduced to them. So the first one, fasting, even though the text focuses more on hunger, right? Like fasting as in not putting something in your oral cavity that goes down your esophagus to your stomach. But that's the right? I, have to do that. I have to I get to be with you right now. So in conversation. So I very yeah. hanafi, then.
0: Very, right? very hanafi. Response I know. You know.
1: I <laughs> had to I had to do it. I had to <laughs> do it. Um that's like it's like an inside joke, people. Anyway. Um I'm I'm thinking though of fasting from the perspective of like fast fasting from the things that not just the physical form of it, but How do you know that you are not attached is when you are able to fast from it, I think, Mm -hmm. right? So, and this is again, like based on behavioral psychologists that have been doing research on this, my own personal experience of it is, for example, if you are addicted to social media, which, I mean, I don't know if you all know, there's a stat that about 98% of Americans are, Mm -hmm. maybe let's say if that even that, you know, statistics can vary. So. Even if you said eighty, like that's still like, very high number, right? How do you know that you're um, addicted? Is if you're able to just be without it mm-hmm. and let it let it be, right? And fast from it. And that's a good question, I think, that we have to ask ourselves as we're sitting here. Is like, what are the things that um, occupy our stomachs, our minds, our um, all of our lives in ways that do impact the five makasa that you mentioned in a way that is detrimental. I personally, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, is that I would extend the the idea of not just fasting in terms of the hunger, like physical fasting, but fasting that allows one to monitor where they are on that spectrum. Because, right, Mm -hmm. what do you
0: think? I mean, when, you know, I heard this um, statement uh, and ironically, I think my wife heard this on social media, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Right? okay. but it said that the way that a person relates to food is connected to the way they relate to money. Mm, interesting. Right? That the way you relate to food is very similar to the way you relate to money. And I immediately thought about Siyam, I thought about Som, I thought about fasting. That the reason we fast is because food is a part of our essential connection with the world, right? And probably the way that I engage every every other worldly appetite is going to be reflective of how I engage that primary appetite. Mm. So a person that, you know, a person that, um, Eats uncontrollably, mm. probably spends uncontrollably. You that understand is, what I'm saying? A person, profound. Yeah, profound. you know, you know, a, a person that is careful about eating from the halal is probably careful about making their money in a halal way. Mm. But a person that doesn't care about that halal, haram, whatever, it tastes good, I like it, mm. is probably less concerned about earning the halal. Right? So I think when, whenever fasting is mentioned, know that this is like a minhaj of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. Meaning, okay, rather than dealing with your love of social media or clothes or cars or attention or money, you could actually do without all of those things. Maybe except the clothes. If you intend to leave home, I suppose. <laughs> or make your prayers, right? You you could probably do without all, but food, it's easy, you can't do without it. You know, I, I whenever I talk in the Ramadan, I always say that the only thing that connects us to the world in a way more essential than food is air. Mm-hmm. What if we had to fast from breathing? That would be deadly, <laughs> right? Allahu raheem, Allah is merciful. Right, but food this is this is my east. you know, the food and the sexual appetite. This is how we are essentially connected to our uh, 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 our kind of corporeality. We're corporal beings, we're bodies, we're bodies, and those are the things that remind us, even if a person is like at a very high level spiritually, I bet they still get hungry. You know, even, even, even monks that spend their lives in worship, they still get hungry, right? right? So food is that reminder that you are still a body, you are still human, and you still have the needs that humans have. If you can govern your engagement with food, I think the Minhaj dictates, you can govern your engagement with anything. And right. if you can control the way you eat, you can certainly control the way you speak. If you can control the way you eat, you can certainly control uh, how you entertain yourself. You see? And this is, I think, the secret in fasting.
1: SubhanAllah, that's so profound. I mean, Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, whole, I like the whole teaching is this, mm-hmm. right? That you can, mm-hmm. the reason you control food and what he calls the lower ego, mm-hmm. um, and then the sexual appetite is right Mm -hmm. there. So interconnected with that.
0: Absolutely. There's
1: actually um, this one doctor, I'm gonna actually pull up his name. I follow him on YouTube and (laughs) he's like, he does research on the the food connection, right? Mm -hmm. And his whole thesis is around this idea that if you control what you put into your body and when you put it into your body, it impacts everything else in your life. Mm So, um, basically, he calls it this mechanism where if you train yourself to base you know, like the Pavlov's dog thing, right? where you like have this tent like if you eat and then you do inter- intermittent fasting, your body chemistry starts to change. and so the the dopamine that's released, like if you're instantly hungry, you just eat something Dopamine's actually released in your body, you're actually not gaining more energy out of it. Because apparently, we have 50,000 calories at any time saved up any of you who are biochemists can like, talk about that more probably. But so he argues that our Chemi- brain chemistry starts to change so we apply that same concept not just to food then we apply it to other areas and that's why it's so amazing that that makes total that. sense right because yep, then absolutely. you start to apply that same kind of template so to speak or format that your body's starting to get used to and then you're able to apply it to other areas of your life um because our our the centers for reward right they they're kind of constantly at an impulse lit up and that happens with, for example, buying clothes or anything else, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really interesting. You know, know
0: zally, you know, he famously said in his ihya that the hardest thing he ever did was learning to pull his hand back from the dish after he had had enough to eat when the food was good. Mm-hmm. Like learning not to, because we know when we are eating to satiate our appetite. It's like, OK, I'm hungry and I'm eating. But after a while, it's like, I'm not hungry anymore. This brisket is just delicious. (laughs) I'm not, I'm no longer hungry. I'm just eating because it's good. You know, when he was able to stop there and say, okay, I'm no longer hungry. I don't have to eat. He was then able to apply that rigor, that discipline to his entire life spiritually. Because I mean, when you think about the urge to, to go back to that dish, it's a primal urge it's like a it's as you were mentioning it's like release more dopamine right release more serotonin like right? because that's what's going to happen when i when it when i taste all of that grease all of that salt like i'm making you hungry right now right all of that seasoning i'm going to be happy That's what butter is. Mm. Butter is the want to feel that all the time, all the time, all the time. That's what, that's why he describes it as exuberance. Mm. When you want, that feeling that you get when you, I don't know, maybe maybe I should use myself as an example, so as not to offend anyone else. When you pull a car out of the lot for the, when you pull a new car out of the lot, there's a feeling. When you want that all the time, all the time, it almost becomes an addiction. Mm. I need it, I need it, I need it, I need it, I need it. That's what. you see?
1: That's so interesting. Do you think that's also the reason why young Muslims are having such a hard time either staying in their marriages or, I know I'm, this is like a coming out of the left field here, uh-oh, but I uh-oh. do want to put like something more practical to this. Like, do mm-hmm. you think about, okay, because we're talking about like food and clothes and things like that. Like, I want to keep it real. Like it, it almost feels like because we live in this, in the world where you can just keep having more and more and more. And there's constant options as well as just that gratification that you get when you first Mm-hmm. meet somebody and then you this is this is deep what you're talking about right this like you meet deep. someone go, and that goes first six to eight months you're just like oh wow like everything mm-hmm. seems to be like this mm-hmm. you know that feeling mm-hmm. that you're talking about and then that when that kind of starts to disappear you're like okay
0: gotta look for it in another place
1: right and so subhanallah like and this is not just for muslims i think it's just a general state Everybody. of society right um yeah your thoughts on that
0: I mean, I think think that's very profound. I think when you think about anything with which we develop a long-term attachment, there's an arc of emotion that that goes into relating to that thing. Uh, At first it's new, it's exciting. And it is stimulating that uh, that part of us that is um, enamored with everything new and exciting. Mm. You know, there's pleasure, there's excitement, there's newness. After that begins to plateau, then I think the only thing that will carry you is appreciation, Mm. is gratitude, right? It's not, you know, you ask any person that has been married more than 10 years, is this still new? Well, Allah is not new. (laughs) you know maybe only in love poetry it is every day with you is something new I'm like no it's not (laughs) not. but every day with you is something that I'm grateful for Mm. you see I think gratitude has this um restorative effect that you know it's like every day I recognize I could be alone every day you recognize you know I might not enjoy this companionship. Mm. And then I think, from that you know gratitude and appreciation, a very deep, very still kind of love develops does not mean that it's not passionate. Mm. You know sometimes when my wife and I we can argue in ways that, after we finish arguing, we're like, "dang, after nine years, we can still argue that passionately. Mm. MashaAllah. MashaAllah.
1: Your daughter's sitting right there. She's probably like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, wait, no, she's not. Sorry. That's actually Iman. I'm sorry, Iman. (laughs) MashaAllah.
0: Sorry. But my my point is that it doesn't mean that you don't have passion. But it's it's like that that quest for that new exciting thing has given way to an appreciation for familiarity, for the work of, of staying in love with this person, staying in relationship with this person. And that's not necessarily exciting. You know, Ibn Ta'ala, he said that, um, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions about the path to spiritual refinement is people expect it to be exciting, mm. right? You know, it's almost like you're gonna sit with the shaykh and every, every time you see the sheikh, he must smell like oud. Sorry, that's funny. He must. And Bukhur just, when he walks, ooh, just burns. It just, it just, it just you know, ooh, just it's just redolent. It just emanates from his pores, just, you know. And everything he says is like light is coming out of his mouth. And every time you sit with her, you feel like you're floating. And one day you actually do levitate. And he said, he said, actually, the spiritual path is like licking a dry stone. Mm. You think your nuffs enjoys discipline? Mm. You think your nuffs, your ego enjoys self-realization? You think this is something that your nuffs is going to find enjoyable? Like, man, this is fun. For me to actually realize the lowliness of my state how much work I need to do on myself, I'm, I'm loving this. He said, no, if, no th- 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 there should be some level of not resistance, but like, phew, it's almost like um, anyone here who does weight training. If you get the weights and you're just throwing them up like this, then you're not getting a workout. You're not, you're not working out. If you're just in there going like this, <laughs> that's not a workout. Only when something is being ripped, something mm-hmm. is being torn that will redevelop stronger, now you're getting a workout. Now you're, if you're, you know, no pain, no gain. Have only you started when you're,
1: working out recently, I'll be the last. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Only Only Inshallah. when you're
0: a bit sore after the workout have you gained anything. Otherwise, it's just maintenance, I'm just maintaining what I have. Spiritually, the same thing. Right, coming to terms with the fact that I'm selfish. Mm. Ooh, that might really involve some painful silence. Damn, I really need to work on that. Coming to terms with the fact that I should be a more available father. Mm. That's not something that, you know, you do with e ha. -ha -ha. you know what, man? I'm trying to become a better dad to my kids. (laughs) No, it's like, ooh. There are some ways in which mm-hmm. I've not been available to my son, or not been available to my. You feel mm, you. It's you gotta, now I gotta push this weight off of me, and you get stronger.
1: So okay, there's something else also that I wanna ask, and I have to frame it in a way that's like
0: mm-hmm. not offensive. It's really that, Well, you know, one one thing we're, we're all friends here,
1: so you know, when I think about this whole idea of, um, because it seems like this topic is like for like generally to help people, Muslims, obviously, in this case, Mm -hmm. to monitor themselves, think about themselves, how they're presenting themselves Mm -hmm. um, within the context of society. I always though ask the question of like, okay, what happens if what's being, like, this is a prescription, right? Mm -hmm. And the dosage is, it seems like the person has to decide for themselves what dosage they're going to start at. Because if they try Mm -hmm. to do cold turkey, it may not work. Mm -hmm. Or if they take too much of it, it may not work, right? Mm -hmm. So they have to, like, figure that out. Maybe have a sheikh or someone that's a mentor that can help kind of guide them through this process of, okay, this is where you start at 50 milligrams or something, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But what about, like... You know, now I'm thinking of like in particular the United States where the disparity and like social injustices have really impacted what would be considered weakest members of society in particular black bodies people of color right mm-hmm. and when you look at how young people from and not just young whatever age group mm-hmm tries to fit into society by exhibiting um certain type of clothing and behavior that Mm -hmm. may actually be outside of their means of income Mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily doing it because they want to um cause harm to themselves or other people it's Mm -hmm. it's more of a confidence thing right Mm -hmm. so when the whole like the idea of like oh swag like having having that as part of just feeling like you do belong and you do fit it and you do like have something to look forward to in life
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think that is a that's a category that needs to be dealt with very differently because I have been like no offense to any of the scholars mashallah who teach around this topic I've been to like khutbas where people like scholars will just be like oh you know that black brother came in with a swagger like he was you know whatever and mm. like they'll say stuff like that but then not thinking about the deeper realities that surround mm. communities that right like so I'm wondering what you have to say about that because I am thinking of like practicality of all of this and
0: well, relevancy. It's a deep it's a deep, it's a deep topic. Um, I, I think that you know a lot of people fail to realize that you know um, around the time of America's founding, hmm. they were deeply influenced by the ideals of the French Revolution, and you know. Um, um, egality, right? my French is terrible, but uh, a strong egalitarian ethic that all people are essentially equal. This became almost the, the thing without which a true Republic cannot exist. So when you read the writings of Jefferson, when you read the writings of Patrick Henry, and they're talking about the equality of man, most of their writing they're quoting Montesquieu. They're talking about the equality of man. This is a strong, this is, a, this is you, know, around the, you know, around the founding of the United States of America. I would say this is perhaps the strongest impetus, right? To break away from the tyranny of the English crown, right? That we cannot be slaves to England. Now, the question, how do those same people, who esteem liberty, Mm -hmm. esteem egalitarianism, actually have people in bondage. Mm. How do they, what is the source of that dissonance? Mm. What you have to do is, you have to say that, no, no, it is their rightful place to be slaves, Mm. right? These people represent almost a subhuman species that can be enslaved. They are in, it's almost like, slavehood is the fullest realization of their potential. Like this is the this is the this is kind of what has to happen. Now, conversely, there was slavery among Muslims. I mean, this is you know, I mean, this is you know, a lot of people know this. You know, some people don't know this, but it never had that complexion. Slavery was seen as a part of the vicissitudes of life like a person got captured on a battlefield, you know, like, you know, uh, I got captured on a battlefield and I ended up a prisoner of war and in pre-modern society, a prisoner of war ended up becoming a slave. But it wasn't like they were born into a condition of servitude by virtue of the color of their skin. Mm. That's different. You know, this is like, the difference is like in one instance, slavery became a person's lot like, man, I fell into this. You know, this is just the unfortunate condition that I fell into. The other iteration of, you know, enslavement, I was born this, being a slave is the fullest realization of my potential because I was born this way, right? For people who had to labor under those kinds of presumptions, naturally, their preoccupation becomes disproving that there's anything inadequate in their humanity. Mm. That becomes your, that is, you know, that is one of the, uh, the, you know, unfortunate outcomes of black oppression in America is that it becomes almost an obsession to prove your worthiness. And you try to do so by any means available to you mm. by making sure my subject matches my verb or making sure I look a particular way or making sure I have a certain kind of achievement now in and of itself being particular about your speech or being high achieving or being particular about your appearance is not something bad but when you are doing it to establish your humanity which is just a fact of what we call divine fiat God made you a human being you don't have to do anything to assert that humanity you don't have to achieve anything. You don't have to graduate from any school. Even if your subject doesn't match your verb, you're a human being, right? And you are worthy of the dignity and respect afforded. Human beings. Karamna adam. Truly, we have ennobled the children of Adam. Then those things can become kind of a, um, you know, a, 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 a toxic self-deleting, obsession right and you live in the shadow of all of these ideas about your pathology your inadequacy and there are many black people until the present day that are that we live our lives trying to prove our worthiness to white americans and to white america Mm. and um if a person does not recognize this and replace whatever that is in their consciousness that needs that validation with god Mm. it can lead them to it can really be maddening it can really be maddening especially when society is dedicated in different ways to reaffirming that inadequacy right um um so i i think you have to get to a place you know of 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 self-love, you know, and embracing who you are and seeing yourself as worthy because God created you, not because you make a certain amount of money or because you graduated from the University of Chicago or because you dress in a a classic style or because you drive a certain kind of car. Um, And this is the place that I think, Jezakalachaya. I think that um, religious folks generally and Muslims in particular, we have a lot to offer to the liberation of Black people, man,
1: Mm.
0: right? Um, Not just changing policy and changing laws, but man, remove the chain from your mind, right? But don't do so in a way that's self defeatist. See, some people want to relinquish white standards by putting themselves in disadvantageous positions. Yeah. I don't care about education. I don't need no education. I don't need no professional I don't need no professional degree. Who, I don't care about wearing a suit and tie. Wait, hold on, wait a second. Wait a second. I, I, I appreciate that you're trying to assert your worthiness outside of anyone else's standards. But do so in a way that is edifying to you. Do so in a way that gives you the ability to uh, perpetuate the kind of life you want for yourself, for your family, right? But do so with your conscience free. Do so with your mind free. And I think that this is, um, you know, this is still, you know, a struggle. This is still a struggle. You know, this is still a struggle, you know, but I mean, but, you know, in, in, in terms of like somebody saying, you know, this black brother or any brother or any sister walked in with their swag. I feel like Number one, I mean, if we can just step away from some of the intellectual stuff, why are you paying attention to them so hard? <laughs> are you a sucker? Are you a lank? <laughs> why are you watching them so tough? Really, I mean, I mean, you know, I think with things like that, again, I think it's relative because one person's esteem, one person's dignity is another person's, ex- you know, excess. You know, so like, um, of course, with, uh, with regard to like women in the community. Uh, the relative term is tabarruj. Mm. The mutabarrijat, yani, tabarruj, mm. everybody, you know. How do you separate what is tabarruj, like mm. this, this proud mm. self display from dignity. Mm. From You know, for someone that, you know, I present myself like I respect myself. Mm. You know, my, my grandmother, um, used to tell me, well, there's nothing more attractive than a woman with dignity. She walks like I respect myself and I regard myself with seriousness. Now for someone else that might be Tabarujani, like she's bursting out. No, she's just, for her, that's I'm confident in myself, right? I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of what I believe, right? And I wanna represent that proudly. So I think it's, it's never safe to think that we're in a position to judge you know, someone's you know, line. This crosses the line. I think it is, if you have a relationship with the person, it is okay to remind them that there is a lie, right? There's a lie and they should assess for themselves. Do you think that you? you know it's like babe you came in today with you know platinum bracelets all the way up to your arms man you you think you think maybe you crossed the line <laughs> you know what I'm you think maybe this is going too far and, and 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 but but for you to say based on your own subjective standard that is definitely crossing the line you know, just i think it's enough to remind people that you know we we don't want to become excessive with this stuff mm. and if that person in their you know, conscience can say, no, I don't think this is too much. I think, I think it's fine. You've given da'wah. We don't have to, but you know, casting aspersion onto people and he thought he was so much and, you know, Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyyah in Madarij al King. he said, Dhikr dunya bila aw madhan, hmm. talking about the worldly possessions of another person, Right. Whether you're excessively praising what that person has or ex- excessively disparaging what that person has is a kind of misguidance. Why are you so concerned with it? Sometimes the person disparaging it, they're more involved with it, the person that has it. Mm-hmm. You'll know more about it than him. Then what does he need with a car with a wood grain steering wheel where the wood was sourced from Tora Bora? I didn't even know that he'd well, he run around with a, a car that was made. There's only 25 of them made. And he had to have one. There's only 25 of them made. I didn't even know that. <laughs> You're more involved with it than the person that has it. It's don't have. And usually it's, uh, um, it's, a, it's a way of saying, not look at her, how messed up she is. Look at me. Hmm. Look at how correct my standards are. Look at how good I am. See, I'm not the guy that is you know, excessive. I'm not the sister that's out there. Look at me, look at how great I am, mm. right? Really, when I hear people criticize other people like that, what I hear is, if only they were more like me, then they would be good. If only they had my standards, they would be, they, they would, you know, they would be okay. And, and that's a kind of kibber. You know, that's a kind of like excessive, that's a kind of vanity.
1: Mm.
0: Well, I mean, I'm me and they're them and I have to mind that there is a line of excess in dunya and indulgence and they also have to mind that there's a line of excess in dunya and indulgence and we should both know that our religious responsibility as Muslims is to try not to step over that line. Yes,
1: subhanAllah. Thank you for. for you know, indulging in that question, because I, I know that it could be somewhat sensitive depending on how it's framed.
0: It's a a real thing. I mean, anyone that um, says they don't understand that, uh, I'm talking about, you know, a black person, then I don't know how honest they're being.
1: I agree with you like that there has to be a self kind of governance based on like, not letting the pathology of that impact Um, who you are and where you seek your validation from. I I was curious because, you know, obviously you're a Black man and Really? (laughs) (laughs) You're Muslim, so there's uh, I I was tempted, right, to ask that because I'll be honest, like as um, South Asian post-colonial communities, I still feel like we continue to seek that validation whether it's like, you know, I've always heard from my parents growing up, like we didn't come to this country so that you can just become a Muslim scholar who, you know, is not going to make money, right? I <laughs> just, just saying, right? Um, and so there's this, the you know, the expression competing with the Jones, right? And that's actually, if you look at the statistics now, the American Muslim community, who is now majority of the 35 to 45 year old, who are pretty much doing quite well right? Mm -hmm. According to the stats that were kind of neck to neck with the Jewish community when it comes to like socioeconomics, like the the big question is where, where is this going to go? What are they going to do? What are they investing in? Mm -hmm. Um, And really that gets projected right into Mm -hmm. our engagement with people. And so it's always this comparison then at that point of, um, What do you own what do you have how do you look and that validation just can't it's constant so you know and and then it's like what do you do with communities that don't have much and they still want to stay in the game so to speak right and that's where kind of i was coming to because i remember okay when iman the inner city muslim action network was first kind of when you know rami and Emil, the co-founders when they were looking for a space and things like that we would go down there, you know, and that was honestly like, as a South Asian, like, Daisy girl, that was my first exposure of like, oh my gosh, like, black people exist right here, and there's gentrification, and there's Wait right, a minute, like, aren't you from Evanston? No, no, I actually I grew up in Chicago, then we moved to Morton Grove, so that's like, <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, okay. Um, but you oh, know, I, I lived I, in. I was gonna
0: say, there's black people in Evanston.
1: <laughs> no, I know, but <laughs> Evanston is interesting too. It's the East and West Side, the super for filthy sure, rich, and then sure. the right. Um, yeah. Anyway, the point I was trying to make is we had like raised money and we, you know, we were just giving young people money and we gave, um, I remember gave this kid, I think like a hundred bucks and he was like so happy and he went and bought like these shoes and I thought he was going to like go buy groceries. Right. Yeah. So someone who was there, who was kind of like a religious figure at the time that I looked up to, um, made a comment, like, don't give these people money. They just, they don't know how to use it.
0: Stuff it a lot. Stuff it stuff. a
1: lot. So I asked, to be honest, I was like tempted, right? To like ask like, so why didn't you buy? Cause they, he didn't, they didn't have, like they didn't have food to eat. Mm. So I was like, why'd you go buy shoes? And he's like, four of his family members had already been shot. And he was like, I don't know how many days I'm gonna live, I'm gonna get those shoes. So mm. that was like really interesting, right? For me subhanAllah to like kind of hear that and think mm. like, I just, or we just judged him based on this idea Mm -hmm. that, oh, he's just probably like trying Mm -hmm. to be arrogant and prideful. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't know how many days I'm gonna live. So with the money I have, I bought these shoes. You know, I
0: mean, there's actually a strong argument. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois in uh, the Philadelphia Negro, he talks about how it was actually the inability of black working people to actually buy property that led to this culture of conspicuous consumption. Mm. Because if you don't have the ability to buy wealth, he's talking like in the at the turn of the 20th century, wow. right? If you don't have the ability to accumulate wealth and to buy property, if you don't have the ability to really grow your wealth, then what should I use it for besides immediate gratification? You know what I'm saying? So even that many people say is a is a is a symptom of a larger Mm -hmm. kind of uh issue that if you you know, I mean a a a person has to be shown like you know there are more um uh generative ways of spending and investing money Mm -hmm. than immediate gratification. But if you've only seen that then it's it, 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 it's it's uh, it's natural to opt, you know, um, for that, you know, but
1: yeah, I just mm-hmm. wanted to point that that that's a reality, too, right? Because like if you see, for example, we learned this in the mental health field that if someone goes through trauma and then they start like dressing up like with all these like colors and they're just exuberant, so to speak, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're just trying to show off. It's literally you know, the depression that's, um, you know, depression is what it's actually a state in which you are being suppressed from something. And so your, Mm -hmm. your mind, your body, your soul is constantly trying to like become alive, right. It's trying to come out of that. Mm -hmm. And so if someone is not like exhibiting normative behavior and they look like they're exuberant, it, you know, it could be something that is, um, trying to balance itself out, yeah, right? No, That's I another mean, point that I thought is important for us to Yeah, about. no,
0: I, th- I think, you know, um, I see the point mm-hmm. you're making and, and, and there's certainly some validity to it. Um, you know, it's almost like for someone who is ridiculed, boasting becomes resistance. You know, boasting is not exuberance, it's not excessiveness. It's, you know, rather it's like when Ali, Allah who was saying, I'm pretty, um, he's saying, in spite of um, an entire um, uh, culture that would maintain that my black skin and my wide nose and my full lips makes you know me ugly, in fact, I'm pretty. Mm. That's that's not seen at least uh, among the people to that he's speaking for. They don't see that as boasting. They don't see that as even exuberance. They probably understand that to be resistance. But that's kind of where the spiritual and the social kind of intersect in some very interesting ways. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'lifcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.